Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey, it's Hillary Frank. This is The Longest Shortest Time. We are busy preparing for a brand new season of episodes, which will start up in just a couple of weeks. And while we're working on that, we thought we'd bring back some of our favorite episodes from our archives. They're actually all from our very popular and controversial Sex and Parenthood series. This week, like last week, we're airing a sex advice show. So, you know, not appropriate listening for children. So we're going to be doing another one of these sex advice shows soon, a brand new one with new guests. So if you listen to last week's episode and this week's episode and you don't hear your question answered, which, you know, chances are you've got another question about sex because there's a million questions to ask about sex, just send it right to us. Email hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject sexy. Again, that's hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject sexy. So what you're going to hear today is a live recording from an event that we held in New York at the Green Space. It's called The Parent's Guide to Doing It. We took your questions about sex and parenthood, and we got two amazing experts to answer them. The show was super fun and raunchy, and I had a blast on stage with my guests, Tawana Hines and Dr. Hilda Hutcherson. She likes to be called Dr. Hilda. Tawana Hines is an award-winning sex educator, also known as the Funky Brown Chick. Dr. Hilda is an OBGYN and a professor, and she's written two books on improving your sex life. They're called What Your Mother Never Told You About Sex and Pleasure, A Woman's Guide to Getting the Sex You Want, Need, and Deserve. Tawana Hines and Dr. Hilda Hutcherson, welcome. Well, we have a lot of listener questions for you, um, so we're just going to dive in here. Um, our first call comes from Dee in Atlanta. My name is Dee from Atlanta, and uh, my question is, how do I make my husband a better kisser? Dr. Hilda, um, in your books, you outline step-by-step instructions on how to be a good kisser. <laughs> so I'm going to throw this to you first. Well, I think my first question would be, how do you get to the point of marrying somebody who can't kiss? <laughs> I think I would have taken care of that on the second date. Uh, <laughs> But now that you're married, (laughs) you certainly can't tell him that you hate the way he kisses. 
that might be quite a shock. So what I usually recommend to women is to model what you want. So kiss your partner in the way that you want to be kissed. How many women have come back to me and said, oh yeah, that sounds really great. But when I tried it, he just kept doing the same thing he was doing before. (laughs) Um, And so now I have something a little bit more dramatic, and that is to tell him, honey, tonight I want to make you my bitch. (laughs) And I want you to let me do whatever I want to do, and I don't want you to do anything. And you put handcuffs on him, (laughs) blindfold him, and then you just have your way. And when he starts trying to do that, that jamming his tongue down your throat, you just go, wait, now, you're not supposed to do anything. <laughs> and then that way you can model what you like. And he probably would then return and kiss you in the way that you want to be kissed. Um, so I found that that works quite well. <laughs> and I admit like it. They like. They really like it. Twana, do you have an answer to this? I love kissing. First, it's important to note she didn't say that he's so lousy that how do I tell my husband to stop kissing me? So something's working right. So it's to start with thinking about those types of things. Like what in particular is good? So I think everybody for the most part has had someone kiss you where they either do like the sword thing where they're doing the tongue a little bit too hard or there's just a little bit too much waterworks going on. It's way too much. We go through life as if we're just going through the motions, even when it has to do with things as intimate as kissing someone else. And so if you were to stop and kind of go forward with that in slow-mo and think about pressure, think about how close you were to that person's skin, think about feeling their breath against your face, and really just be in that moment. And really take in all of those things. And like, don't forget that it's not just tongue. It's not just lips. It's not just this. Use your hands to stroke those face. Your fingertips have an amazing amount of nerve endings there too. So don't kind of isolate it of just like, he's a bad kisser. He's kissing wrong. It's like, think about the things, one, that are going well. No one wants to hear you're fucked up. You're doing it wrong. So it's like, I really love, and the part of it that's going well with the kissing. So start there. And it's like, I think that that's a good way to start it off. And and I think another thing to say is that um, kissing is usually the first thing that goes away when you've been with someone for a while. And I think it's very intimate don't you? Super intimate, especially when you consider you're not only kissing someone's lips to someone else's lip. There are all different kinds of places where you can kiss too. So it's like, don't let creativity leave your relationships ever. Stay young, lovers. Keep learning. <laughs> well, let's hear the next question. This comes from Lee. Hi, I'm Lee, and I'm from Philadelphia, where I live with my wife and our 15-month-old baby. And my question is, how can we reconnect now that we're parents? We've both had a really low sex drive for a long time, uh, first related to my partner's depression and then side effects of antidepressant. Then we had sex very little when I was pregnant, and we've had sex zero times in the 15 months since. I birthed the baby and I breastfed him, which could explain my low libido. I'm still breastfeeding. Um, But either way, we have an ongoing lack of connection, and I think the lack of sex is really starting to make it hard to remember we were ever anything but parents together. What can we do? So we've heard this from a bunch of people, and I think it's important to to note that it's not always the partner who birthed a baby who has trouble getting back into the swing of things. So Tawana, do you want to take this first? 
Yeah, that was a huge question because there were so many different parts on it. One, uh, the side effects of drugs. Like, I think that that was something that was good that she called out, that that does affect your libido, your sex life, and all other kinds of things. So one, being aware uh, and seeing if there's a different drug that you could possibly be on. So talk to your doctor about what you're actually using. Maybe the dose is too high, too low. Maybe it's the not drug for you. Um, Every drug has its side effects. So finding the right one, So that's what I would start with first. Second, she said low libido. No such thing. Low, high, whatever. Everyone's is different. If I asked everyone in this room or everyone who's listening to this podcast, how much is too little to work out? How much is too much to work out? How many of you worked out today? How many times do you work out per week? Ooh, that's not normal. It's like everybody has something that's different for them. And so I'd say realizing there's no such thing as normal. I could go on, but I'll leave room for Dr. Hilda and we can keep going because that's a huge question. There was so much yeah. packed in there. Oh, there, there's a lot packed oh. into that. And I would say with the antidepressant part of her question that antidepressants are something that can not only take away your desire for sex, but take away your ability to have pleasure. So women who are put on low-dose antidepressants for uh, PMS, for instance, and not told that this might affect their sex lives. It can take away the desire, but make you unable to have an orgasm. Um, and if a doctor doesn't tell someone that in, uh, in advance, it can be quite, quite a shock. Uh, the other thing I would say, uh, one other point that she was getting at, is that when you haven't had sex for a long time, it can be very awkward to try to get back into it. How do you just all of a sudden say, oh, let's go, tonight's the night, and your partner's looking at you like, what? After 15 months, yeah. tonight's the night? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's been over two so years. So like three years. So you have, to take it, you have to take it slowly. First, you have to communicate, like always in a couple, about the importance of sex to the relationship and the importance of sex to your individual health for everybody's health. And so when you, you, you have that conversation about how you want to have sex and you make that agreement, you probably need to start very slowly. So you need to start with something that's not so intimate. Like, I'll give you a massage tonight and you give me a massage tomorrow night. And start holding hands and, and then kissing or necking and then kissing. And so you're going from you know first base to second base as if you're teenagers all over again, um, and slowly working up to that point where you can be more intimate and have a, a deeper sexual relationship. But it can be very awkward when you haven't done it for a while, and I think it does need to advance slowly for most couples. Great. Um, so this next question comes from Frank, and this was sent in, um, written anonymously, so I'm going to read it. One of the best things we've done for our sex life is to add a toy, parentheses, a vibrator for my wife, to the mix. Sex is more fun and more consistent. However, sometimes I feel left out. What can we do to make it more of a team effort, ha, huh? or, <laughs> or, or what kinds of toys for guys would add to the uh, good vibes? And I, I, believe, I believe that Dr. Hilda uh, needs a prop to answer this one. Yeah, I did bring along just a couple of things that I thought would be really interesting hiding out here someplace. <gasps> <laughs> okay. All right. 
So awesome. And those of you who are listening to the podcast and not here in person, you are missing out. So Dr. Hilda, can you, can you describe what you have in so, front of you? Um, I have a big chocolate brown dildo. <laughs> <laughs> But if you bring something like this in and introduce this to your male partner and and say, you know, um, I would like for you to use this on me, that would be intimidating. And that probably would cause some little erectile dysfunction um, in the in the usual usual man and and some feelings of inadequacy because I think that's what he was saying that sometimes he feels that he's being replaced so this isn't the kind of thing that I would bring in this is for solo play by yourself when he's at work or on a business trip or something (laughs) something like this is what I would introduce first you know, it's a mini massager, and you turn it on. It has a very nice vibration. It's pretty strong, actually, the newer ones. And this you can use. Your partner can use it on you. You can use it on yourself. Um, and you place it on the clitoris, and you rub in that area, and it's very good, um, you know, a nice stimulation. But you can also use this on a man. Um, you can rub it down the the length of the penis. You can rub it around the the head of the penis very gently. And then there's a spot that is between the anus and um, the, the testicles, the scrotum. And you put this and you press it on that spot. And what that does is it transfers the vibrations into the male G-spot, which is around the prostate gland. Now, if a man were um, agreeable, you could put, not this toy, because it would get lost, but there are toys, <laughs> and, you, and you wouldn't want to end up in the emergency room, but there are toys that you can put into the anus, into the rectum, that directly stimulate the male G-spot the prostate gland. Or you can take your finger, if you've cut your fingernails and you use a lubricant, you can do the same thing by putting a finger into the rectum and then doing this come hither motion um, around the prostate gland. But those are ways that you can incorporate toys into sex with, uh, with your partner. There's also a, a really new, a new toy in which you can put part of the toy inside the vagina, part of it lays outside the vagina against the clitoris, and you can have intercourse at the same time. The part inside the vagina vibrates, and it vibrates against the male uh, penis, and it vibrates against the female G-spot. Um, haven't tried it but heard it was really wonderful. So there are lots of different uh, toys that you can use that stimulate both, both people, but this is probably what I would start with. Tawana, do you have anything to add? I was going to say, I love that you brought two different toys because I think often people think of sex toys, they think vibrator. Sex toys, vibrator. It's just that there's so much more, too. And so I like the pocket racket that you've got there. Um, handcuffs are great. You mentioned butt plugs, which are fantastic. And I think when we talk about sex, it's important to remember that just as there's no one right way to eat, there's no one right way to eat someone or to give someone else <laughs> pleasure. And so like when we think of like vagina and a penis going inside of it, that could also be a penis going inside of an anus. That can be two vaginas against each other. That could be a finger. So it's like keep things um, 
a little bit mixed up in there, I would say. Spicy. Yes. (laughs) Spicy and delicious. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our next... (laughs) (laughs) Hillary. Um, This one comes from Molly. Hi, this is Molly from Chicago. My question is about when you are trying to have another baby. My husband and I got pregnant with our first baby very quickly and very easily. In fact, it was an accident. Now that we are ready to have our second baby, it is just a lot harder, and I really feel like the romance has gone out the door. Pillow talk is about ovulating, and it just does not spice up your night. Um, My question is what to do. Why does this seem so much like a chore and isn't losing the fun part of having a kid and trying to have a kid? So that's my question. Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Because here's what happens. It's like, I often say we treat sex as if it's a game and you win it by coming. And so if you didn't come, did you come? Did you come? It's like somehow it's like you failed at the game. You lost the game of sex because you didn't come. And so as ridiculous, yeah, right? And it's like as ridiculous as that is, the pressure that that puts on everyone and the way that it makes you feel like you're somehow inadequate if you don't come every time you have sex and if you don't come multiple times, that gets dialed up to a thousand when you're talking about trying to conceive a child. Because now not only is it sex is a game and you win it by coming, but it's like you're trying to expand your family. And there's all kinds of disappointments that can come with that with either or both of the partners possibly being infertile, having to go through in vitro fertilization, having to possibly go through multiple miscarriages. And if we have a hard time talking about sex in this country, we sure as should have a hard time talking about when things don't work out as planned, when you're trying to get pregnant or when you get pregnant and you weren't intending to, like that whole kind of gray area of like that pregnancy space can be very difficult. So I'd say one, if it feels like a chore, that's because right now it is a chore. If you're having sex in a way where it's like, okay, am I ovulating? Is this the right time? And all of this timing or whatever, it's like that whole conversation ends up being about a chore. The chore is having sex in order to make sure that you have a baby down the road just like washing the dishes in order to make sure that the kitchen is clean. Nothing about that sounds sexy. And so I'd say what it is, is to always come back to why are you trying to have a child in the first place and have the conversation about that. Not about ovulation, but it's like, babe, this might be it. This might be the time that we have, you know, a kid. this might work. Let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't, That doesn't make either of us any less of a person. That doesn't mean we failed. It just means that we're going to try again and again until this works. This is going to work out for us some way. That's a much healthier, happier, intimate, loving way to have that conversation than to talk about the technicalities of sex. Well, I can tell you, I was that person trying to get pregnant, you know, going through medical school and residency and all of a sudden I'm 32 and I got to get this baby out, you know? I got to get pregnant like tonight. You had four babies. <laughs> Wait. You, you, had, you had four babies five. starting at and 32? And I was already 32, so I had four babies. Like Every other year I was pregnant and my patients thought I didn't know anything about birth control because I was always <laughs> pregnant. But the first time 
it was just impossible. I thought, you stop taking birth control pills and you're going to be pregnant the next month. It didn't work. So there we were, taking temperature, using ovulation predictor kits, sticking your finger up your vagina to see what your mucus looks like. I mean, it's not pretty. Uh, And my poor husband, you know, I was saying, it's easy for you. All you got to do is come. That's it. It only takes a few minutes. So I would do my ovulation predictor kit. The color would change. I'd go, get back in here. He's on his way out the door with his briefcase. Get back in here. I'm ovulating. You got to do it. He's like, I got to go to work. No, you got to do it. Take off your pants. I'm pulling down his pants. You know, hurry up. Just stick it in and do it. (laughs) It only takes about 60 seconds. Just do it. (laughs) You know, it's like the only time that I wasn't complaining about coming too soon. You know, just do it. (laughs) And the poor guy You know, it's really hard to put the pressure on a man like that. It really is, because that pressure to perform sometimes can cause the opposite of what you want. Like, they just can't get an erection. And I saw this in a lot of my couples as a gynecologist. You know, I would tell them my story and um, that make it a a little bit better. But I, I finally realized that I was never going to get pregnant by putting that kind of pressure on him. So I always considered myself the smartest person in the couple. (laughs) So I said, okay, I need to get pregnant. So I would do my little ovulation predictor kit, and I would not let him know I was doing it. And, you know, the color change occurred. I would come out in something really, really sexy, and I would give him a lap dance, and I would do whatever I needed to do to get that thing up. But it made sex fun. And that's what you have to do. You have to just think about it and prepare and make sex fun. I also brought some toys in. Um, So he wouldn't even know that I was ovulating. I knew I was ovulating. I knew that I had to have sex like every day for five consecutive days or every other day for a week or whatever. But um, you have to just make it make it fun. And it really is, there's more pressure on the male partner than it is on the female, because we can just put lube up there. You can put some spit up there, it'll work. (laughs) But they actually have to, there's something mechanical that has to happen in order for them to have intercourse and to ejaculate. When we come back, Dr. Hilda tells us what she hides in her giant file cabinet. Don't go away. We're back with more sex advice from Tawana Hines and Dr. Hilda Hutcherson. Our next question comes from someone named Melissa, um, and I'm going to be reading this one. She says, we co-sleep with our six-month-old. He wakes up pretty quickly if left alone in his crib. How are we ever going to have sex again? The one thing that I always tell my patients when they're pregnant, do not put that baby in the bed. My first child was in the bed because I thought it was, oh, so, you know, we work so hard to get this little one. I want to spend all my time with her. I work all day. She was in the bed breastfeeding. She slept with us. It took me three years to get that child out of my bed. (laughs) My husband and I would have to sneak to the bathroom to have sex. We could never have sex in the bed because the baby was always there. And who wants to have sex with a baby next? I don't know how people do that. The baby's lying there. 
And I'm thinking, well, she's going to see it. She's going to turn it to a pervert because, you know, we're having sex next to her. I, I couldn't do that. Um, so three years, she did not move out of that bed until the second child came. And then she was bored being in the bed with us because the other baby was in there too. Um, but I learned with that one to put the baby in the crib. I am someone who does not believe in sharing your bed with the baby. I just don't. I changed so, my mind. Uh-oh. So uh-oh. I got to say, this was, this was what made um, our last episode so controversial. This is part of it, was that... Um, our last two experts said the same thing. They said, just don't co-sleep. And then we just got a flood of emails from people saying, but I do co-sleep and I firmly believe in co-sleeping. And so what can you tell me? Co-sleep, sex. You have to make a choice. What do you want? Otherwise, you're having sex in the bathroom, like my husband and I, or you're trying to get someone to babysit so you can go off to a hotel or something. Um, it just doesn't. Um, it doesn't work. Twana, you look. You're shaking your head. You look skeptical. Okay, so co-sleeping. I, I think. Okay, this is hard. Okay, <laughs> I'll start by saying this. <laughs> There's someone laughing over there. You see, I'm struggling with this. But I'll start by saying this. I still think that people can co-sleep with their kid if they want to, because here's my thinking. Sex doesn't always have to take place in the bedroom. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. I have had sex in a natural preserve, on the floor, in my kitchen, on my couch, um, at my... I've, I've had, I'll just say I've had sex in a lot of different places <laughs> without ending this podcast with Tawana going on her very long list of the different types of places where she's had sex. So it doesn't only have to be in the bedroom. You could shower with your partner. I think that's very sexy. Water is a natural lubricant, too, so that's very cool, too. Um, they're just, you can have sex in your partner's office. You can have sex in a bunch of different places, after hours, before hours. It doesn't only have to be in the bedroom. And I think that, like, when I hear the parents who are pro, and I read through these comments of the fangs coming out and people being pissed the fuck off. It's yeah. like, if I want to co-sleep, I'm going to fucking co-sleep. Like, yeah. I was serious. I was like, holy shit. And so I think, you know what, if it's working for them, if that is important to them, if that's a valid choice for them, have sex somewhere else. That would be my Well, I, I, yeah, I think everybody has the right to choose what they want to do. But as someone with, with experience, my advice to my patients has been not to, not to start it. Um, and I understand that some people feel very strongly about it, and that's fine. It works for them. But my advice would be quite the opposite. Um. So we're going to turn to our next question. Uh, This comes from Kara. Hi, this is Kara. I had a third degree tear, almost a fourth degree, according to the doctor who stitched me up. And I healed up quickly, but sex still never feels good. Not only do I have zero desire to have sex, but whenever it does eventually happen, I cannot stop thinking about the feeling of the baby coming out of there and the pain that I was in afterwards, even though I'm not in pain now. How can we have sex without me thinking about the trauma that area of my body went through? Well, yeah, I, I, I certainly, I've had patients like this who had severe tears that uh, cause almost a, a PTSD, like a post-traumatic stress syndrome in some women, where the thought of having sex uh, because it may lead to another pregnancy 
or because of uh, their connection between uh, having a penis go inside and having something come out. Um, and, you know, we can all joke about, well, no penis is as big as a baby's head and all of those kinds of things, which are, which are absolutely true, but I hope. Um, <laughs> I don't want to see that person. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, that wouldn't feel good. But um, sometimes I have had to bring therapists into the equation, a sex therapist, to work with her, to get her to, um, to the point where she can accept sex for what it is and separate it from the experience of birth. Um, in some cases, the sex therapist and I have worked together, and I have had the woman um, do exercises with dilators, with little... Um, instruments that look like uh, tubes of lipstick and they come in different uh, diameters. So you start with a small one and she uses that to penetrate herself or have her partner use it to penetrate and you start with the smallest one and then you go up to larger and larger till you get to the size of a penis. And working with sex therapists, that has actually worked for my patients, but have you had other experiences? Definitely. And so I would say, one, what is sex? There's no one definition. And so penetration is one type of sex, but there's also different types as well. There's different places where you can penetrate people too that aren't specifically related to the vagina. And so that would be my first thing is that Think about having a sexual relationship with your partner that's not exclusively centered on penetration. And there are a lot of people who have sex that penetration isn't even in the equation at all. And so that would be the first thing I would say. It's just kind of like starting there. And then second, they say your brain is actually your biggest sex organ. Like, how do you feel about your body after you've given birth? How do you feel about your partner? How does your partner feel about you seeing you as a sexual being or not? Like, there's this whole script of like parents being these asexual which is funny because they're parents, <laughs> but uh, asexual beings who are good and saintly and holy. And then there's like the slutty people who have sex and have fun and like are having all these good times. And it's like, we need to kind of like stop pretending like these are two different camps of people. And the way that we feel about sex really drives the way that we perform and enjoy sex as well. So we're going to listen to our next question. This comes from Frankie. Hi, my name is Frankie, and I am from Columbus, Ohio, and my sex question for your experts is I have been kind of going back and forth on how to explain to my daughter um, when she's old enough that I am actually bisexual. Um, I know that some people might not think it's a thing that's necessary to tell their children, um, but in the world that we live in today, I just think it's really important to be open and honest about your sexuality. And, you know, I hope that kind of clears up any sort of, you know, issues she might have if she's having any sort of feelings when she grows up. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, what time is appropriate for that? Like what age? I'm kind of torn. I want to make sure it's not too soon and it's not too late where it's going to be really awkward for her, but something that she can accept and, um, it would be good for her. So, yeah, if you could answer that for me, that'd be awesome. Thank you. This is the kind of question that's going to piss somebody off. You cannot answer this question without somebody getting pissed off that you said the wrong thing. I, I, I tend to leave it up to the individual. They know their children better than I do. 
and you just kind of get the feeling that your child is ready for it. But I would say, I think that before a child goes off to school, they need to know what sex is, and they need to know that there are some people who have sex their opposite gender, and there are other people who have sex who are the same gender, because they certainly will have friends in school who have two mommies or two daddies or a mommy and a daddy. And I think that that, so that that's not confusing to them, my point of view is before they go to school, they need to know that. As far as your own sexuality, I think they need to be a little bit older. I don't think you tell a, a four-year-old that mommy likes to have sex with men and women. And, you know, I just don't think that they're ready to process that. I think that a child needs to be a little bit older. And I would take the cues from the child when, when they're ready. Coming up, Dr. Hilda gives sex-starved parents permission to lock their bedroom doors and crank up the music. Stay with us. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome back to this special live recording of The Longest Shortest Time. So at this point in the show, we turned to the audience for questions. Yes, in the back there. Um, so I just, I want to talk about, I guess it's two different things. So I, my daughter's one. And so when she was born, I did have third degree tearing. So me and my vagina were not on speaking terms for a very long time. Um, and you know, I think, um, my husband's going to kill me sitting right next to me. Um, I think there's a couple different things. I, you know, I, it's different down there. Like it's a different landscape. I don't even know my own body anymore. Um, so I feel like there is a little bit of like reacquainting I need to do with myself. But then the other thing is I have a one-year-old. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm tired all the time. So I guess it's a two-part thing. So what's a good way to make time and create energy and space for sex? Um, and also with the complication of just having a different physical body altogether. Those are two really big questions. Yeah. yeah. The time for sex one. Okay. So can I ask you a couple of questions back? Sure. Okay. Uh, do you eat? Uh, all the time. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, okay. Do you, do you bathe and clean your child? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. good. Uh, have you ever, do you, do you walk or drive or take the metro or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. How do you find time to do all of these things? <laughs> and so what happens with sex is I think is that we treat this as if it's dessert. 
Life is the actual meal. Sex is dessert. It's something that's separate. It's something that's not part of our day-to-day life. How could we possibly find time for the desserts of life when we're busy doing the stuff that really counts as real, quote, quote, life. I'm not opposed to scheduling time for sex. I'm not opposed to foregoing some other activities, such as watching television, catching scandal, as much as I fucking love that show. <laughs> but like, yeah, but so like, what, skipping out on some other activity that you are finding time to do, I would say literally blow through your entire week. Like, starting from Sunday, going through Saturday. What did you do? Did you out for dinner? Did you watch any television? Did you work out? Did you, of all those things that you did, how could I find time for sex in that as well yeah and I, I view sex as a as a as a health issue and it's important for your physical and emotional health as a as a woman it's also important for the relationship so when you look at it as a health issue that is important for your health it makes it easier for you to pencil it into your week it's something that when you have a one-year-old you do have to schedule it can't be at any particular time. It's whenever that one-year-old goes down for a nap or to go to sleep or whatever, and then you can... My husband loves that you are saying keep the child out of the bed because that's like... Absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and really, you should lock the bedroom door. I'm sorry. People are going to get angry with me, but you lock your door. So when that two-year-old comes running down the hall, mommy, 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 the door's locked and the music is on. You don't even hear it. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have four kids. <laughs> so I'm speaking from experience. My first one, she, I mean, my, my second one and third one, they always knew when we were about to get it on. The little antennas went up. Oh, it's time for me to go to mommy's room. Um, but you, you do have to, to make this a priority. This is important. When a couple has sex, there are chemicals and hormones like oxytocin that are released that bond a couple. When couples stop having sex, they tend to move apart. It's important you got a child, that couple stay together, right? It's better for the child. So sometimes women appreciate that. Oh, I'm not doing it for me, I'm doing it for my child. I have to have sex for my child to make sure that my child is healthy. I go, yeah, that's fine, that's good, that works. Yes, it's for your child. But it's also for you. Physically, we know that having sex, especially if you can experience orgasm, um, decreases depression, anxiety, uh, boosts your immune system, strengthens your heart, uh, makes you a a happier individual. connects the couple and make them feel closer and stronger together. So it's really important to make the time, as you said. Planned sex is better than no sex. And one of the things that I found was really exciting, because sometimes you get a babysitter, you're still in the house with the kid, you still hear the kid cry. A little whimper, you still hear it, because as a mom, your little antennas go up too, and you want to rush to the child. It's difficult for you to relax and focus on sex because you're concerned about your baby. Um, so one thing that you can do is either have have a, a friend and the two of you can switch off. You take my baby for a few hours. I take yours tomorrow for a few hours and then you can have sex. But you can also just leave the house, go to a, a hotel. Now, you may not, you look like a really nice lady. You probably have never thought about doing this. 
But there are these motels that rent by the hour. <laughs> Just go to one of those. It's so exciting. But take a sleeping bag. Take a sleeping bag or something. Because you don't want to sleep on those, those sheets. <laughs> and you have your fun, and then you come back home, and it's great. I'm going to follow up with a question that we got from someone that was written. Um, what is the best way to hide our sex toys in porn? <laughs> well, that's another really good one. I like questions. Well, at first I had the sex toy in the bedside table. But then, you know, kid goes rummaging through the bedside table looking for a toy or whatever. And then they find it. So... Being someone who talks about sex and writes about sex, of course, people are always sending me text, sex toys. I have hundreds of sex toys. We saw two so of them today. Yeah, so then I was like, well, what am I going to do with all of these things? So I have a file cabinet that's about this tall that has a lock on it. And I put all my toys in there. And that's not just to keep the kids away from it. It's to keep my husband away from it. Because there, there's some toys I don't want him to see. You know, but have you guys, you seen these rabbits? These things that swirl around like that and the little bees are running and the little rabbit ears are going. I've not seen the rabbit. I would never let my husband see my rabbit. Rabbits, I have a lot of rabbits. Never let him see my rabbits. So keeping them locked in the file cabinet keeps him out of there, and it also keeps the kids out of there. So get yourself a decent-sized file cabinet. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> okay, I think we have time for one more audience question. If somebody, oh, you in the front? Yes. So uh, maybe a little bit of grandparents' guide to doing it. Uh, I'd like to ask, uh, after menopause, if you're not taking hormones, does that not impact libido and ability to enjoy sex? And what can you do about it short of wanting to take hormones? Yeah. Well, see, when you, when you go through menopause and your estrogen goes down, your testosterone goes down, and both of those hormones are important for libido, for sexual pleasure, for lubrication, for orgasm, for everything. Um, and it's easy to withdraw from sex because of that, because it has changed from um, the loss of those hormones. It is still extremely important, if not more so, as a woman gets older. You know how you get the little arthritis in your hands and your knees and your back? Orgasm is great therapy for pain. Absolutely wonderful. And so it's important for women to continue to be sexually active. One of the things that happens is you get vaginal dryness. Vaginal dryness can be treated with local estrogen, estrogen suppositories and rings and creams and things like that so that you don't get it through your entire body, increase your risk of some type of uh, malignancy. So that's one thing that I would suggest. And then the other thing is to stimulate your brain. It's amazing what you can do through stimulating your brain, through fantasy, through writing romantic stories that you find arousing, or reading romantic stories, or watching videos that are arousing, but doing something that turns you on so that you can continue to be more sexually active. The more sex you have, the more you want, the better it is. I find, as a menopausal woman, that sex is 
better because I write about sex every day. My mind is always on sex. My poor husband. I'm chasing him around all the time. (laughs) But that's because my brain is always on it because that's what I do in my work. So find ways of stimulating that part um, of your body and realize that it's really important, even more important as you get older. And it doesn't have to be intercourse because men, as they get older, can have difficulty with erections and they're not always able to have uh, intercourse. But as you mentioned earlier, there's so many things that you can do. Oral sex for an older woman is like, Oh, it's incredible. It really is. It really does get better because you start to feel more comfortable with your body. You know what you want. You know what turns you on. And that direct stimulation is very good. Well, Twana Hines and Dr. Hilda Hutcherson, thank you so much for being here and for being so open and honest with us. Um, Let's have a big round of applause for them. You can find Tawana Hines at funkybrownchick.com and check out Hilda Hutcherson's books. They're called Pleasure and What Your Mother Never Told You About Sex. They are eye-opening reads, whether you have kids or not. And don't forget, if you have a question that was not answered here, we want you to ask it. I think the co-sleepers out there might still be feeling unsatisfied. Send your questions to hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject sexy. So many thank yous today. Thanks first and foremost to Joanna Solitaroff, who coordinated this whole event. Thanks to the Green Space and to their staff for hosting the event, especially to Jennifer Sendro, Ellen Rolfes, and Ricardo Fernandez, who not only engineered the show, but delivered Dr. Hilda's props to her on a pillow, no less. Thanks to Modern Mia for co-presenting this event with us. Modern Mia is an excellent website that tells stories of mothers of color and career. Check them out at modernmia.com. Thanks also to Paula Schumann and to Bill Moss, who mixed the show. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado and Antonia Akatunde. Thanks to Jane Marie for extra production support this week. This episode was originally produced in partnership with WNYC. I'll be back next week with more from our Sex and Parenthood series, this time from a kid's perspective. Warning, 21 years old or older. That's how old people need to be to hear about this information? Um, probably. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes so you don't miss that show, and so you don't miss when we return with brand new stuff in a couple of weeks. As always, we are looking for your stories. Yep, your stories. You can send us anything about your kids, your parents. Most of all, we're just looking to be surprised. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. On Ron and Beverly, we like to ask our guests the tough questions. Fine. How old were you when your parents got divorced? His brother's way uh, stuff. Like nine. Did yeah. you see them date other people? Did you walk in on them with other people? I, I never married. walked in. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> Are they Thank remarried, God. each of them? No. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Were your breasts and her breasts the same size? When you saw a woman of that age without her clothes on, did you think, 
That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Was, I did was you only think? impressed. I didn't know there were any black people in Colorado. Is that true? Yeah, it's a decent amount. Can you imagine the muscle on muscle in the bedroom for the two of them? Like, okay. very acrobatic. Okay. Listen to Rana and Beverly today on Earwolf Judd Cum, Howl, or your favorite podcast app. Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Fa 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 f